Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful that you guys are here. Uh, my answer to that question that Mike just posed would be Easter because of ja black jelly beans. So uh, it's the best, I know. Some of you, I got booed last service too. Here's the deal. If you don't like them, give them to me. I'll take handfuls, bags, whatever you got. Uh, that's my candy of choice. Uh, and we're so grateful that you're here, whether you're joining us in person or you're joining us online. Uh, our hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. Uh, as Pastor Mike just mentioned, we have Easter coming up next week, uh, and we've been, uh, we encouraged you guys last week, we challenged everybody to pray and to fast uh, heading into Easter, to be praying for people in your life, neighbors, coworkers, family members that uh, man, may be open to a, an invitation to Easter. Maybe this will be the Easter that they come and, and they hear about Christ and they give their lives over to him. And so we just want to encourage you to do that. We have all kinds of ways. There's, there's these little cards that are on your seat. You can give that to somebody. Uh, we have the, uh, the yard signs. Uh, if your yard sign looks anything like mine after this past week's wind, maybe you need another one. Uh, or uh, we have social media ways you can uh, tell people. Whatever. Just invite people. And let's just see if our invitation leads to eternal transformation in the life of someone else. Uh, hey, today, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about a time in your life, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it was a season, maybe it was a moment, where you look back on that thing or that time or that moment and you go, man, God, thank you for that. Maybe it was like when you got married and you remember walking down the aisle or you remember standing at the altar and you're like, man, that was a, a great day. Maybe it was the birth of your child or uh, maybe it was a, a friend coming to know Jesus. Just some time in your life where you're like, man, I'm truly grateful for that moment. When I think about gratitude and, and moments, I think back to when we first moved here. Uh, this moment wasn't, I wasn't very grateful for, but the outcome uh, I, I was. My son was uh, three and my daughter was one. So we moved here. We were like, okay, well, we need to, it was our first Easter. We got to find, you know, an Easter egg hunt. You know, what's, what's going on? And there was really only one at that time. Uh, and so we went to it. And to be real honest with you, as a parent of a special needs kid, it was awful. It was one of the worst experiences. Like thinking back on it, like there were parents fighting each other. And I mean, my son was like, just had, had lost it. I mean, it was like a terrible experience. And, and I remember thinking like, that will never happen again. Uh, but how do I help my son uh, experience, you know, kind of the, some of the, the fun things about certain seasons uh, as a, a child with special needs? So we were uh, just praying through it and thinking through it, and as a church, we began to dream and to ask questions and thought, man, what could we do to help these types of families? And so we created what's called the special egg hunt. Uh, maybe some of you have been to it. Maybe some of you have served at it, or maybe your kids have been there. Uh, special egg hunt, it's a, a, an egg hunt designed for kids with special needs. Now, there's the traditional hunts that, that we have, of course, like if you have a neurotypical kid or a typical kid, then there's the traditional hunts. But if you have a child with special needs or if you know of somebody, uh, then we do uh, some really cool hunts. And I know if you haven't been there, you might think, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, here, we have these eggs right here that, that beep. Let me see if I can. Can you hear that? Okay, so that's like with, for kids who uh, have visual impairments. Uh, and, and every day I get like the emails of kids signing up and families signing up. And we got a bunch of kids this year uh, that can't see. And so they're walking around trying to find these eggs that are beeping, which is if you've never seen that come. And if you, have, if you don't have tears in your eyes, you're not a human being. Um, 
And then we have these eggs. These eggs have, have magnets in them, and we kind of put them all around. We give these dowel rods to kids who um, have some mobile challenges, and they can just, you know, either use their wheelchair or some of the kids, they get out of their wheelchair, and they'll just kind of scoot across the ground, and they'll pick up the eggs or whatever. And this is just an opportunity for kids who don't get uh, the, the typical experiences as some other kids to, uh, to in some ways, feel normal. And for the parents, in some ways, feel normal. We have a quiet egg hunt for kids like my son who have autism or other sensory needs. And so we have these, like, baskets and boxes that have sensory items in there. And we, like, turn off the music and make it quiet and stuff like that. And it's just ways for us to go, how do we love people well? I mean, the most unreached people group in America are families with kids with special needs. So how do we reach them well and love them well? And, and at church, I just, when I think about our special egg hunt, I'm so grateful. And I just want to say thank you. So many of you, you give generously here, and that allows us to do it. It's expensive to put on this egg hunt, and it's because of your generosity. It's because of the generosity of so many sponsors uh, that allow us to do that. There'll be hundreds of you that will serve on Saturday. That's when it is. It's this coming Saturday. If you're interested in serving or giving or being a part in any way, uh, you can just write egg hunt on your Connect card uh, that Pastor Mike just talked about, and just uh, you can drop it in the boxes or, um, or take it to the, next, the Connections team, and we'll get you connected. And we'll allow you to be a part of uh, what, what we're doing. It's just such a cool moment of seeing these families experience something that they've never been able to experience uh, before. So church, I just want to say thank you. I'm truly grateful. Uh, today what we're looking at in scripture is a, a prayer that Paul prays. And when he prays this prayer, he prays a prayer of gratitude. He says, hey, here's what I'm thankful for. Right now we're, we're wrapping up a series called Prayers from Prison. And there are these prayers that this guy named Paul, who wrote a large portion of the New Testament, he writes these prayers. He prays these prayers to certain churches and ultimately to you and I. Now, these prayers weren't prayed while he was on vacation or while he was up one morning at his house or at his office. He's sitting in prison when he writes these prayers. Now, he's in prison for uh, these false accusations that have been made to him or about him. Um, uh, one, one instance, he's in prison because they're just trying to protect him. Uh, there's people trying to kill him. So instead of, like, giving him bodyguards, they throw him in prison, uh, which would have been a terrible situation. And while he's in prison, instead of worrying about himself, he's thinking about others and how to care for others and how to speak words of life and all of that. So he's praying for these churches. And the church that we're looking at today is a prayer that he prayed for the church in Colossae. Now, what's interesting about the church in Colossae is most scholars would say that um, uh, Paul didn't know really any of the people in this church. He had never visited there. Uh, he wasn't like best friends with any of them. Or they, it would be like some of your Facebook friends. Uh, some of us, we have Facebook friends who are like, I don't even know who you are. You know, like, I don't know how we became friends or whatever. Well, it would be similar to that where Paul's like, he's kind of heard of them. He's heard about what's going on in the church, but he doesn't know many of them personally. And yet he still writes this letter to their church. Now, here's the deal. For every series that we've done uh, as a church, we've created these, uh, this year, we've created this message series hub. And on the series hub, you can scan the QR code in your worship guide that's on your seat, or you can go to frontrange.org, and you can get there uh, to the, the series hubs through that. Uh, these series hubs, they have ways for you to go a little bit deeper in what we're talking about. So if you're interested in learning more about these churches, learning more about Paul, anything like that, we put something to read on there. So there's some books. We put videos on there. So if you're like, I don't like to read, but I'll watch a video. And we put podcasts. If you're like, I only listen to stuff in my car, whatever. We put multiple options on these series hubs. So if you want to go a little bit deeper. 
And Paul, he's writing to this, this church, and uh, we have some videos about that particular church and, and what Paul's doing. So if you want to take a look at that, go to our message series hubs. So let's jump in. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 1, and here's what Paul says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, this is the typical structure of one of Paul's letters. He starts with who he is, who he's writing to, and then he gives them a little bit of a greeting. So he says, hey, I'm Paul, and then, he, and then he qualifies himself. He says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's showing where his authority is coming from. Just in case you don't know me, just in case you, don't, you haven't heard about me before, my name is Paul, and I'm an apostle of Jesus. So what I'm about to say is really important. He gives this qualifier uh, so that when he addresses some heresy later on in the letter, again, you can go to our message series hubs and learn more, but when he addresses this heresy, they're like, okay, we can trust you because you're an apostle of Jesus. We can trust your authority and what you say in this moment. So this is kind of Paul's typical way of opening a letter. Then he starts with a prayer. Verse 3 says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. So he says, hey, first I want to thank God for you. I thank God that first you've given your life over to Jesus, that you've had this, this radical transformation in your own heart. And then two, I want to thank God for the love that you have for other people. So he's thanking God for these people and that they've come to salvation in Jesus and that they love other people really well. I love this next verse. Look at, look at verse 6. Paul says this, in the same way. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. What's Paul doing here? He's taking a moment. He's like, hey, I want to thank God for what God's doing in, in the church in Colossae, but I also want to thank God for what he's doing throughout the whole world. See, I think sometimes in, 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 our, in our lives, we get so focused on, like, what's happening in our little corner of the world, we forget to, like, take a moment and just step back and go, God, what are you doing throughout the whole world? Like, God, how are you moving? Like, for me, I think about what God's doing here in our church. We've seen 49 people give their lives to Jesus since January, which I just think, I think that's amazing. Like, 49 salvations, like, 49 people committing their lives. Yeah. Like, that's unbelievable, but if I just get focused on what God's doing here, I miss what he's doing everywhere. So I thought as a church, let's just take a moment and like let's celebrate what God's doing throughout the world. Did you know in the last 20 years, the Protestant church in America, so in, in America, churches are really bro uh, broken up into two types of churches. One, there's the Catholic church and the Protestant church. So if you're not a Catholic church, you pretty much fall into the Protestant church. Did you know that Protestant churches have grown from 15 million people to 40 million people in 20 years? I, some people say, oh man, the church is dying. People are, are, are walking away from the faith and all that. I'm like, I think God's still doing something. 15 to 40 million people, that's incredible. Let's look at the church in China. Again, take a step back, a little bit bigger step back. Look at the church in China. The church in China is, is regarded as an underground church. They don't literally meet underground, uh, but they have to meet secretly because the government there, they're not founded on God's principles. They're not uh, all about freedom of religion or anything like that. If you go to a church in China, you know that at any point, the authorities can come in and arrest you. And if you're a pastor, you're probably going to be killed. 
They can't meet like we can like this. They can't have their signs outside and all of that. If we were a church in China, at any moment we were going to be shut down. And, and we would be arrested and put in slave camps and all of that. The church in China, even with all that persecution and, and, and the, the secretness and all of that, has 140 million people associated with it. That's almost half our country. Our country only has 360 million people living here. China has 140 million people in the underground church. I think that's incredible. There's been explosions of faith in, in supposedly dead places like England and other places in Europe. You look at the church in Africa and God is moving mightily. We partner with an organization called Bread of Life, an organization my wife and I and a few others started many years ago. And we go to the unreached people groups of Kenya and South Sudan. And there's been many villages we've walked into where those villages have been controlled by a witch doctor for centuries for centuries, a witch doctor has controlled the spiritual climate of this village. And we've been able to go in, plant churches. We're seeing people give their lives to Jesus, women being set free. I mean, God doing like crazy stuff. Like God is moving all over the world. And you look at the church in, in, in the U.S., and the largest church in the U.S. is a church called Life Church. Uh, they've got about 60,000 people uh, that call their, their church home. That's crazy. 60,000 people, that's a massive church. But it's not the largest church in the world, like not even close. Largest church in the world is in the Philippines. One church, largest church in the world is in the Philippines. Guess, guess how many people are in this church? Give me a guess. 100,000? A million? One more, one more. Half a million? Okay. Five million people in one church. Five million people. I got, and they, guys, we could talk all day. I mean, we could talk about South America where there's a crazy explosion happening right now in, in some churches. I mean, God is doing stuff all of, We moved here. When we moved here 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, um, uh, or, or was 10? I don't know. What, something like that. 10 years ago, we moved here. We, we, we were told this place was a church planter's graveyard. It's one of the reasons we decided to come here. We thought, well, if we're going to die, this is a good place to die. Um, so... We said, hey, let's start a church here. We probably won't make it. 95% of the churches that start on the front range are done before year two. They have to shut down their church before year two. For us as a church, since we started, we've helped plant 15 churches on the front range, and all of them but one are still going, and almost all of them are thriving. They're not just surviving. They're thriving. Yeah, God is on the move. Like, it's so easy to, like, listen to all the negativity in our world and be like, oh, where's God? And what's, it's like, I, God's doing some pretty incredible things. And I thought as a church, like, Paul, Paul in this moment, he's taking a step back and he's going, hey, let's, let me give God thanks for what's going on in the world around us. I thought, why don't we do that as a church as well? Let's just take a moment. Let's give God thanks. Father, we just come before you and I thank you for what you're doing in the world. I thank you for how you're moving in China and in Africa and South America and Europe and all over the world. I thank you for how you're moving here, for how you're moving in, in churches like Life Church and, and in our church and so many churches. And, and how when we moved here to the front range, there were so many churches that, that weren't making it and they were struggling. And God, you're moving on our behalf. God, you're moving for some reason, God, all throughout the world. And we give you thanks. We pause and we say thank you. Keep moving, Lord. Keep doing great things in our world and in our little town. In Jesus' name, amen.
So Paul takes a moment, and he, and he gives thanks, and then he kind of gets into the meat of the prayer. Um, and here's what he says. Look, let's take, take a look. Verse 9, it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. It seems like a similar prayer that he's prayed to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Philippi, to the other ones that we've studied. He's praying for wisdom. He's praying for understanding that you would be filled with the wisdom of God so that you would understand what God's will is for us. And then he prays for four very specific things, that you and I would see four things happening in our lives, that we would do these four things in our lives. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. So the first thing he's praying for is that you and I would be fruitful, that we would be fruitful. He says, live a life worthy. Other translations say, walk in a manner worthy. Paul's using a, a Jewish metaphor here. Uh, the, the, the rabbis, the Jewish religious leaders, they had a, a, a certain document that they had to live by. It was called the halakha. And the halakha had uh, very specific things that they had to do, how they were to live their lives. And here Paul's saying, as a follower of Jesus, you should live your life in a manner worthy, in a manner that is, is, is consistent with Scripture, and in a way that people look at your life and they go, there's something different about you. Here's what I would say, that if the world looks at my life, if they look at your life, and we're no different than the rest of the world, we're doing something wrong. Like if the world looks at me and looks at you and if we profess Jesus as our Savior, that we're followers of Christ, and we look no different than the rest of the world, we're doing something wrong. Why? Because we're called to be fruitful. What does that mean? It means to live out what Scripture tells us. It means that we are to be sanctified, which is just a big word to be holy for as God is, is holy that's a commandment in Scripture. That How do you do that? You, you ref, we reflect in our lives what we see in Scripture. We live out the commands of Scripture. We do what the Bible tells us to do. We live in community with one another because the Bible calls us to be in community. We serve one another. We give generously to the church and to others. We share our faith. We don't neglect the meeting together with one another. We serve in various capacities. This is what we do as a church. We want to give you as many opportunities as possible to live out what Scripture says. So like when we put on an egg hunt, we're like, hey, we need volunteers, and it's not just because we need a bunch of people to come out and help us out. It's because the scripture tells us to serve, to serve one another, to care for one another. When we, when we call people to give to something, to, to be generous with what we have, it's not because we're like, oh, we need money as a church. It's because we're, the scripture says, hey, you are to be generous as, as God has been generous to you and I, when we were praying this past week and fasting for people that, that we want to invite to church, it's not because we want the most amount of people. It's because God calls us to share our faith. God calls us to pray for people, to pray for those who are lost, for those who are spiritually disconnected. It's us giving all of us a chance as a church to live out Scripture, to be fruitful. Paul says, I want you to be fruitful. Second thing Paul prays for this church and prays for you and I is for us to be smart. He says, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to be smart. Look at the end of, uh, of verse 10. He says, bearing fruit in every good work, also growing in the knowledge of God. 
He wants us to increase our knowledge of God and his will. Now, we've talked about this every week of this series because in every one of Paul's prayers that we've looked at, he's prayed for knowledge. He's prayed for wisdom. He's prayed for understanding. Why? Because when you and I have knowledge about who God is and what God's will is for our lives, then we can, we can uh, join him easier in what he's doing. It's a little bit easier to join him in what he's doing with the rest of the world and the purpose that he has for us. Not only that, when we understand who God is and what God says to us, then, then it's easier to believe truth than to believe the lies. The lies that Satan throws at you, the lies that we tell ourselves, the lies that the rest of the world tells us. When we understand God, when we have a, the wisdom of God, then we stand on truth and not on lies. He tells us to be smart. And our discipleship model here as a church, we say, hey, there's, there's kind of three things you got to do to be a, a follower of Jesus. And one of those is to know God. Why? Because knowledge transforms what you do. When you have a knowledge about who God is, when you have a knowledge about what God wants to do in your life, what he says about you, what he says to you, then it changes how you see yourself, it changes how you see each other, and it transforms how you respond. So Paul says, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to be smart. Third thing Paul challenges us to do in, in this prayer is to be strong. Be strong. Look at verse 11. He said, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. He says, I want you to be strengthened with all power. Now, power was a big deal in the Greco-Roman world. I mean, people sought after power. They wanted power. That was what they craved. That's what they, they did everything to try to obtain power. Most of the ways back in the Greco-Roman time period, they were, they were doing that by, by religious things, by uh, worshiping certain gods or uh, by participating in pagan rituals. And they thought if we did these things, then, then the power of God or the power of these gods or of these good spirits would come upon us and they would protect us from the evil spirits that are trying to get us. They had a, 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 a huge desire for power. I don't know if we're any different. I think if you look at our culture, we crave power. I mean, for, maybe for some of us, we crave power through religious things, through religious um, rituals or, or worship or whatever. We might, we might crave power that way. Some people crave power through money. We think if I have a certain amount, if my bank account is at a certain place, if my retirement is at a certain place, then I'll be good. We crave it through money. Maybe we crave it through fame or popularity or climbing that corporate ladder. If I get to this place, then I'll be good. Then I'll be happy. And it's really about power. But no matter how you crave it, all of us, I think all of us desire power through our own inner strength. We say things like, uh, I, I could do this on my own. I don't need anybody else. Or we say things like, I could do anything I set my mind to. And we have this belief that power comes from within us, that, that we can handle anything. But the problem is when we yearn for power and we believe that it comes from inside of us, that we're strong enough, we're good enough and, and to do anything that we set our minds to, it isolates us. It isolates us from others and from God. You see, I think this idea of neediness is really a core tenet of the gospel. Like a core tenet of salvation, of the gospel, of the good news about Jesus, is this topic of neediness. 
Like you can't ask Jesus to come into your life until you first recognize that you need him. You can't ask God to do something in you and through you until you first recognize your need for him. But even that word neediness, like when I first said it, some of you are like, ugh, I don't know if I like that. Because in our culture, we're taught, like, don't be needy. Like, don't tell people what your needs are. Like, don't be that person. But a core tenet of faith is this idea of neediness. This idea that, like, you can't do it on your own. Even Jesus, when he's teaching us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he says, give us today our daily bread. Hey, God, I'm going to have needs today, and I need you to meet those needs. This is really easy to preach. It's really hard for me to live out. Neediness doesn't come naturally to me. For example, if you come up to me and you say, and you're going to do this because I did not think this one through, but it happened after last service a bunch. You'll come up to me and say, hey, man, how you doing? And my typical response is going to be, I'm good. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to deflect from the bad things. I'm saying that because naturally I'm a positive person. So naturally I bend toward the positive. So if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to think of all the positive things that are going on in my life. But if you drill down a little bit, it's going to become really hard for me to tell you what my needs are. Okay, but how's this? Well, how's this? And how's this? And you start to drill down, then I'll probably get to a place where I'll want to deflect what my needs are. Because I'm good. I mean, my needs aren't as bad as this other person. I mean, I'm not going through what these people are going through, or I don't have the same needs as my friends in Africa. So, like, comparatively, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm not that needy. It's really hard for me to come to a place where I'm humble enough to say I have needs. But neediness is a core tenet of the gospel. We have to get to a place where we say, I need. Because when you get to that place, then you're inviting community in. You're inviting people in. And most importantly, you're deriving your power from God and God alone. So Paul says, hey, I want you to be strong, but I want you to do it through the power of God, to rely on him. So he says, be fruitful, be smart, be strong, and lastly, be thankful. Be thankful. Look at verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You know, when you're thankful, you're acknowledging the source of what you've been given. So when you think about the relationships that you have that you're grateful for, or when you you think about what you have, the possessions or your salary or your job or your house or whatever you have that you go, man, I'm thankful for that thing. When you actually express gratitude, you're focusing on the source. The Bible says that all good things that we've been given have come from the Lord. All good things. Like you probably worked really hard to get what some of the things that you have, some of the possessions you have. If you have a, a marriage or you're like, man, this is a pretty healthy marriage, it's because you worked at it. If you have a friendship that you're like, man, this is a great friendship, it's because you both put in effort and sacrifice and all of that. Like you work for it for sure, but it's God who gave you the abilities. It's God who's given you the strength. It's God who gives you the grace. It's God who gives you the knowledge. It's God who gives you all of these things. And when we're grateful, we're acknowledging him as the source. Here's my challenge to you. My challenge this week is to spend some time, maybe it's at lunch today, or maybe it's when you're just reflecting on things by yourself, or maybe it's at community group or something like that. Just take some time and write down things that you're grateful for. 
just start making a list. I'm grateful for this and that. I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for transportation. I'm grateful for my kids. That might be on Monday. Tuesday, you might not be grateful for them. So Monday, you're not grateful for them. Just wait. Maybe you will be by the end of the week. But just start writing down the things that you're grateful for. And as you write down those things, just give God thanks. I'm grateful for this area. Hey, God, thank you. Thank you for this relationship. God, thank you for this thing in my life. Thank you for this person in my life. Thank you for these things that you've blessed me with. Thank you that we can come to a church where we don't have fear of the authorities coming in and arresting us. Like, that's, a, that's an easy one. God, thank you. And just take a moment and give him thanks for the things that he's given to you. I love how Paul finishes uh, this section. Verse 13, he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says, hey, there's a lot of things you could be grateful for, like your relationships and, and your possessions and your job and your health and your mental capacity and all, all these things. You could be grateful for all these things. But at the core of everything, the foundation of everything we've been given, the thing we should be most thankful for is the fact that we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. That you and I, because of our sin, we were in darkness. But because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, God has brought us from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of light. So like even on your darkest days, even in those days where you, you can't put pen to paper to think about what you're grateful for, turn to salvation. Like, let that be a reminder of what he's given to you. That even in my darkest days, even in the hardest days, the things that I can't find much joy in, I can reflect on the fact that God gave me salvation. That God loved me enough that even though my sin separates me from God, and that's on me, God loved me enough to have a relationship with me, so he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. He's rescued me from the dominion of darkness. It's what we represent when we do, when we do baptisms. We've got baptisms coming up in a few weeks. We just did a bunch of baptisms a few weeks ago. We'll do some more in a few weeks. If you're interested in that, we'd love to get you signed up. There's a baptism box on your Connect card. But that's what baptism represents. When you go down in the water, you're like, man, my old life, this, this dominion of darkness is no more. And you come up, so now you're in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. That's what baptism represents. That's why we do it. It's the symbolism of, okay, no more am I this person. Now I'm new. And for that, we could be truly, truly grateful. So may we be strong. May we be smart. May we be fruitful. And may we be thankful for all that God has done. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace. You are so good. I thank you for what you're doing here at our church, what you're doing in our community. But God, as we even took a step back earlier to look at what you're doing around the world, thank you. Father, you are on the move. And as challenging as things can seem and as negative as uh, uh, that we, all the negative things that we get in the news and, and, and on social media and all of that, it would be easy to think, man, nothing good is going on. And yet, God, you are moving in power and in might. 
And because you are, we can trust that you will in my situation. So, Father, I pray that we would be those things, that we would be fruitful and smart. That we would be strong, that we would be thankful. And Father, every single week, I know we have people coming to this place, and if we're being honest, we can say, man, I, Ernest, I don't have that relationship with God. Maybe you came into this place feeling far from the Lord. You know, sometimes that happens because of just some of the pain and the hardships that we walk through and just kind of find ourselves separated from him. Other times it's because of our, our sin that we choose to walk away. But if you came into this place feeling like, man, I, I don't have a relationship with God or and I, don't, I don't feel close to him at all, God is saying to you today, just come home. What does that mean? It means recognizing that you're a sinner. All of us are. None of us measure up to God's perfect standard. Our sin separates us from God. But God loved you and I so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross. But the beauty is he didn't stay dead. It's what we're going to celebrate in a week. That he rose from the dead to show his power over death and over sin. And so for us to receive that, it's just us acknowledging who we are as sinners and acknowledging what Christ has done for us and receiving that. Saying, Jesus, come into my life. Doesn't mean you won't have doubts or you won't have any more questions. You'll still have some of those things. We'll walk with you as a church, but it's you saying, I'm taking a step of faith today. I want to come home. If that's you, with every head bowed, eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm just simply, if you say, man, I want to commit my life to Jesus today. I want to recommit my life to Jesus today. I want to come home. I just want you to raise a hand. I want to know who to pray for. Father, thank you for each one of these individuals. If you're watching at home, you can simply text the word follow. It's a number on the screen. And I want you to know that this is the greatest decision you could ever make. It's not the easiest, but it's the greatest. The Bible even says that the angels are rejoicing right now when one sinner chooses to repent, when one of us chooses to come home and receive what Christ has done for us, that the angels are rejoicing and we rejoice with you. And then, God, for all of us, tell us what our next steps are. What are we to do next on this journey? Listening and reading through Paul's prayer. God, tell us where we're to be fruitful in our lives, how we're to be smart, how we're to lean on your power. And God, let us take time to be thankful. To be thankful for all the things you've done, especially from bringing us out of the dominion of darkness into your kingdom. For that we say, thank you. It's in Jesus' name.